Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, May 10th edition of the Basement Academy. Great to greet you again at the beginning, not only of a new day, but of a new week. This will be an important week uh, in the life of our family as we gather a little bit later in the week to celebrate and honor uh, not only my mother, but uh, the goodness of our Lord uh, in and through her life. Um, So I pray that uh, today's reflection and the reflections this coming week uh, will be strengthening to you uh, as we enter the gymnasium of the soul. I want to begin with a great psalm. often use this as a call to worship uh, on Sunday mornings. I think it'll sound a little familiar to you. This is Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Just five verses. So you could probably memorize this or at least a a couple verses of it. Uh, I forget how many years ago we did teach verse 3 to our children. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. There's an alternative reading. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Love. I kind of like the force of that, the impact of that. I love it is he who made us and we are his. That is we, the maker then is the it, we belong to the one who made us, right? So I guess that's the idea of our security as God's people made in his image. But I think there's something significant. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. There are no self-made men. There are no, nobody makes themselves. We receive life from our parents. We are given life by God. And what we become in this life is so often shaped my forces beyond us. And so part of the delusion uh, that sin uh, brings to our lives is thinking we have done these things ourselves uh, in our lives. Certainly there is role for human agency, our own involvement, absolutely. But we don't make ourselves. And so we need to keep clear on that. Love the, the last line, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. As we were reflecting last week in the house of mourning, generations come, generations go. And, and so this reality of uh, entering the stage of life in our birth, we live our lives and then we take our exit at death. We take our exit. And so a generation comes and goes. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness continues through all generations. According to our scriptures, God is the same yesterday, today, forever. The one who was (laughs) and, and will be is. God is outside of time as we know it and experience it. And so it's hard for us to get our, our heads around that. 
But I believe we're to be comforted and encouraged by that in the midst of our changing lives and our changing world. And as we grow and age, God remains the same. He is faithful. He is present to us. His word comforts us, speaks truth to us. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection continue uh, to be offered for our redemption and where we find our hope. So I pray, go, go read Psalm 100 uh, at some point uh, today. Okay, here's what I'd like to do. <clears throat> was lingering uh, in Ecclesiastes last week, right? Ecclesiastes 3 in particular. Time to be born, time to die, time to mourn, a time to dance, uh, time to keep, and a time to throw away. And I just recalled how much I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, It's in the Old Testament. Um, It belongs to kind of a small section that we often refer to as the wisdom literature, uh, which includes the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Solomon. And so in some ways... um, well, I read, I read Ecclesiastes at least once every year just because I, I read through the Bible sequentially from Genesis to Revelation. And I, I commend that practice in addition to the praying of the Psalms. So I'm always reading Ecclesiastes. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting close to it. Uh, I'm in Nehemiah right now in my daily readings. So it's usually, you know, as summer is is breaking forth, <laughs> that I read Ecclesiastes. Um, And it's kind of a dark horse for the favorite, one of my favorite books of the Bible. A lot of people don't know the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe they know a few verses, you know, the the Ecclesiastes chapter three. I think we're going to read that this week uh, at mom's uh, funeral. For some, Ecclesiastes is an acquired taste. Uh, it's like a fine wine, a strong meat that, that not everybody understands at first. Um, and so what I'm going to propose to do for the next 12 editions of the Basement Academy, just to read and reflect upon a chapter each day. So today will be chapter one. Um, and... I mean, that may be your reading for the year, okay? <laughs> Hopefully you won't avoid it. It's a, it's a very important book of the Bible. All, all, all scripture is important, right? But Ecclesiastes in particular, it is offered in a, in a way that does strengthen. Its intention is to strengthen our lives but it does so, it definitely is the gymnasium of the soul, okay? It, it definitely is a workout. So, so let me go ahead and um, read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one. Again, I'm reading out of the New International Version. May sound a little different uh, in the translation that you uh, normally read from. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. 
The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That is chapter one of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> okay, so this might be the first time some of you have heard or read, read Ecclesiastes. Um, okay, right out of the gate, the words of the teacher son of David, king in Jerusalem. Who is this teacher? Okay. Um, some translations will say words of the preacher instead of teacher, preacher. Others use the actual term in the original language, koheleth. Um, this is the, the, the teacher, the preacher, koheleth. The, 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 the Hebrew word there is drawn from the same word, where the assembly, kind of we would call church, okay, the kahal. And so this is the person who presides in the assembly, the gathered congregation, the, the, the congregation that gathers for worship. And so that's, uh, Israel was to be a kahal, a, a, a gathered congregation to be centered on worship of God. And so in a sense, the teacher is the pastor, Okay, but there's this identification with the son of David, the king of Israel. And so historically, folks have connected Ecclesiastes with Solomon, the son of David. This language of wisdom, we'll, we'll see it tomorrow. Um, the, the pursuit of wisdom, nobody wiser. And so Solomon's wisdom. Um, there, there are many Bible scholars who actually locate the, or, or date this uh, much later than Solomon. Solomon's roughly 950-ish uh, BC, okay? Let's call it 1000 BC. 
Um, it's clearly Solomonic, if I could say it that way. Um, the, the, the author is anonymous relative to other books of the Bible where attribution is, is given. And so clearly this is reflecting a Solomonic life. We're to understand that. So I, I'm comfortable with understanding that Solomon is the author. It's, it's possible that he's not that it might have been one who was attentive to Solomon and Solomon's wisdom, but one who <clears throat> had a role within the assembly. Because again, Solomon technically is not the pastor. He's not the priest, right? The priesthood and the king were, the priest and the king were separate. So anyway, just to kind of put out there, Koheleth, uh, it's it's pastor, it's, it's shepherd. There's there's this intent to teach, to bring about the meaning of life or meaning within life, okay? Now, what a way to begin a sermon, huh? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, says Koheleth. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, many translations, more commonly we understand, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is a striving after, a chasing after the wind. And so in just chapter one, there's three refrain that talk about meaningless, chasing after the wind and under the sun. Okay. So these themes or this phrase, these phrases or words show up throughout the book. This idea of vanity or emptiness or, or meaninglessness, futility, it, it could be translated any of those ways. It shows up somewhere 42 or 44 times, something like that, in the book of Ecclesiastes. In the rest of the Old Testament, it only shows up some 30 times. So that word, this, this idea of futility, of emptiness, is a theme of this book. Hmm. Why would anybody like this book? <laughs> It, it just gets out of the gate. I mean, it, this is the opening of the sermon. Forget a cute little uh, illustration, something to make the congregation laugh, to kind of draw them in so that we can, you know, then, you know, uh, speak God's word to them. That's what preachers often do, right? We try to tell a little story, kind of get everybody a little loosened up, and then boom, let's, let's you know, go through the, let's go through the word meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. Well, that also will get people's attention. Now, some people might just walk away immediately said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up for this kind of sermon. And then he goes on to this interesting little meditation. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? What use is work? You work, you labor. We're going to see this in chapter, I think it's four. You know, you work, you labor, you acquire wealth, you put it all together, and then you die and you leave it to somebody who might squander it all. Okay, so I'm giving you a little little teaser for what's to come. Woo, won't that be fun later this week? The, the intent of Ecclesiastes, as I understand it, as I've read this many times, is to keep us grounded in the harsh realities of life 
under the sun, that is, east of Eden, the tragic realities of the fall. You see, we forget this. We forget that we live in a fallen world. We forget that we live in a world that is marked by thorns and thistles, sweat of the brow, pain and childbearing, all of the curses that we read back in Genesis chapter 3. We talk about that a lot right here in the Basement Academy. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the goodness of creation, Genesis 3, uh, the, the brokenness, so the blessedness and the brokenness of life and, and of creation. So Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so there's, it's not all dark. There is, there is joy in the midst of this. There's happiness. There's the, the, the enjoyment of, of, of God's gifts. There's nothing better than a man should eat and drink and enjoy his toil, enjoy life with his, his, his family. And so there, enjoy these gifts that God has given, but know that you are going to the grave. <laughs> and so it's this, there's tension uh, within this book. It's to keep us grounded in the realities that we live east of Eden. That we live uh, in a world that is marked by futility. There is um, this, this phrase, the intractability of life, something that's intractable. Certain problems seem not to have solutions. Certainly, we observe that in our own day, certain political problems. What do we do about, and then you can just fill in the blank. And so the Republicans and Democrats offer a vision of how to solve it, but we all know it's not getting solved, right? There is an intractability to this life. We have to work, but work is a burden, but work is a blessing. We find joy in our work, but it's from the sweat of the brow. How can we make joy, uh, uh, make our work joyful all the time? You can't. Because we live east of Eden and God said it's the sweat of the brow and there's thorns and thistles and hey, family life is so wonderful, except when it's not, right? There will be pain. We just had Mother's Day yesterday. There was pain in childbearing, but there was no pain like a mother's pain for the children that, they, that, that, that a mother will bear. And then when the children goes astray, the child goes astray and struggles in a mother's heart, there is no brokenness and pain. That, that is a reminder that we live east of Eden. But we forget this all the time. We somehow think that, that work should be fun, that they're going to pay me a pile of dough and I'm going to have nothing but fun. And if work isn't fun, then I don't, I'm going to go get a new job where they pay me a pile of dough to have fun. Well, guess what? It doesn't work that way. And so that's that notion of what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. People have been struggling. The, the economy has been a challenge always. The human economy, the human household, the human family struggling to, to scratch out existence on earth and, and dealing with, uh, with uh, justice and injustice, struggling with the, the realities and, and somewhat, it seems like, the banality of life. What's the point? I, I work all these years, I retire so I can die. And you see these things kind of float around the internet these days. And so millennials, you know, millennials get a bad rap of, you know, kind of always wanting work to be a certain way and to have fun. They're just bearing witness that every generation bears witness that we are made to labor. God made us. God placed Adam in the garden. Till it, Adam, bring forth fruit, multiply, give, have, enjoy family life. And so there's all of these aspirations and desires that we have as humans, but we also encounter futility. 
And every generation thinks they're going to be the generation that's going to break free. Ecclesiastes says, no, nah, nothing new. Been here, done that. So this, um, this sense of the weariness of life. Generations come, generation goes. The sun rises, the sun sets. The wind blows north and south. The streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. How can it be? And so there's this, this wonderful splash of cold water in the face in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Um, it's a poignant expression. It, it, it's such an important book. This is why it's an important book. But this is why people avoid it, okay? No wonder people uh, avoid this book. You get one chapter and you say, yeah, I want some happy stuff. You know, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated in my life right now. Things aren't working out at work, at home, you know, kind of my team's in last place in the standings. I'm a little, you know, I just want to go get a beer and, and just kind of hang out with the guys, you know. Understandable why people would avoid this book. Don't do it. We need Ecclesiastes. We need this book. And so I take, I take this book somewhat as a pastoral companion, okay? And so if, if you take the teacher or the preacher, Kohaleth, the one who presides over the assembly, my, I have this responsibility, this joyful duty and responsibility of being part of the gathered community of God, being a pastor in a local church, uh, for which I'm so very thankful, particularly for Greenwich, all the churches I've served, but, but I love Greenwich. This is a companion and a, and a strong reminder of me of the pastoral necessity and the pastoral work of naysaying. Okay, that may, it's a phrase I borrow from Eugene Peterson. The pastoral responsibility and work of naysaying. See, the problem is we come to church, we live, all of us live in this futile, intractable, struggling, thorns and thistle, you know, blessedness and brokenness world. We all live in the same world, okay? My life's no different than yours, okay? We, we, we all see it, we all experience it, the ups and downs. And there's this naive understanding that if, you know, I give my life to God or I, I go to worship or I go to church, God's gonna make everything better and all the bad things in my life are gonna stop and uh, I'm not gonna struggle, I'm not gonna have pain, I'm going to get a miracle. Um, God's going to give me the answers I've been searching for. Um, this is why after a 9-11, okay, back in 2001, churches just exploded with fullness. Greenwich was overflowing. People we'd never seen before showed up. In times of crisis, times of tragedy, people go to church. Uh, when people are facing personal crises, personal tragedies and struggles, when they've got a big decision coming up or something's going on, people start, I, when I observe somebody show up for a while and then disappear, and if I haven't gotten to know the story, I'll often assume something hard is going on in their life. They came almost superstitiously. Again, I'm not trying to speak against anybody. It's an observation I made over time. We think God is like a sugar daddy. You know, God's just out there like, like, like a benign grandfather that, hey, when I need to borrow a little money, 
You know, I can go to grandpa, okay? So we have this notion of God out there somewhere and God's there to kind of help me out when I'm in a, in a pinch. But other than that, I'm just going to go live my life the way I want to. And so Ecclesiastes slaps us around and says, you can't think of God that way. Life is hard, but there's a reason life is hard. God's in the middle of this thing, okay? And so it, it, it pastor, Ecclesiastes says some things that we pastors wish we could say. Let me say that again. Kohalath, the teacher, the preacher here, says some things we preachers wish we could say to our congregations. We just can't say them. Why not, Don? You're, you're the pastor. You're, you, you are charged. You and Eric are charged with bringing God's word to us. Okay. Pastors get paid by the congregation. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is true of Greenwich. What I'm speaking of is the impulse and the struggle that pastors have. I, I speak from my own experience as well as conversation uh, with my colleagues over the many years. There are things we would like to say to our congregations, but congregations are made up like, like the pulpit is made up of a sinner, right? You know, it's a sinner who's preaching. Congregations are made up of sinners. And some of those sinners really don't like this kind of language. And some of those sinners give a lot of money to the congregation. And then when they hear something they don't like from the pulpit, they say, well, I'm going to take my money away. I have actually had that happen, not at Greenwich, but I have had that happen before. I preached, had a person walk out in the middle of it, made an appointment, said, I will never give another dime if you speak a message like that again. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but we don't need your money. I'm just going to keep doing the, what, what I believe needs to be said. That was in my first church, uh, a beloved, beloved church. And so a lot of folks come to church wanting to hear a positive message, wanting to be encouraged, wanting to be made happy. Um, and pastors are more than um, happy to comply because we like to have a job and we like to be paid regularly and not to have conflict and we need to support our families. And so there is this conspiracy that sometimes comes together where a congregation, don't tell us any hard stuff, just help us get through another week. Tell us happy stories and make us laugh and, and remind us that God is good all the time, okay? And God is good all the time. His faithfulness continues to all generations. And we pastors are, are, are complicit in this because we don't like conflict, most of us. We're, we're, we're kind of people who like to go in and, you know, kind of sit with people and, and work with them in struggles and try to bring happiness and wholeness. And so we pastors generally don't like to say things to, to bring conflict and tension. And so there's a nice, happy conspiracy. I cannot tell you how many colleagues I spoke to this past year during COVID, but leading up to the election and then going back four years ago talking about, you know, how are you talking to your congregation about, you know, political stuff? And they said, there's no way I'm going to talk about that stuff. If I, if I say anything remotely political, I hear about it and I go, Hmm. Okay. But don't we need to talk to our congregations about those? So if you recall, we did a four or five week, uh, series leading up to the election, kind of how to think about these things from a biblical perspective, not telling you who to vote for, 
it's recognizing that this world is not where we reside. So anyway, Ecclesiastes is a pastoral companion in this work of naysaying. It says things, the, the preacher here in Ecclesiastes says things we wish we could say. And so periodically, you know, the preacher might dive in, that is your pastor might dive into Ecclesiastes, but usually it's for Ecclesiastes chapter three, a time to be born, a time to die, that, that beautiful poetry. So we framed our entire healing series off of Ecclesiastes chapter three, a time to heal. Okay. And so we went through those, what, 10, 12 weeks of messages. So this is why we need Ecclesiastes <clears throat> because each of us, myself included, need to be grounded in truth, in the way things are. Okay. And so, uh, starting today, and then I'll read chapter two tomorrow and chapter three and so on. Um, so for the next, uh, you know, couple weeks, we'll tease out. So I'll read a chapter and reflect with you as I have done here. And let me encourage you to at least read the chapter of the day once each day. Join me in this, in whatever translation of the scripture that you do, so that you will be able to kind of read through and, and maybe engage in your own set of reflections. So, well, that's probably enough for today. <clears throat> and so let me go ahead and, and close us with prayer. Our God, we thank you. Thank you for this new day, this new week that will unfold upon us, uh, a week that will be filled uh, with experiences, with thoughts, with emotions uh, for each of us, but particularly the Meeks family. And we thank you for the strong meat that we find in Scripture, particularly in this book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you um, for its truth, and for the challenge. We thank you for the comfort that we will find in this good book as well. And so for your spirit who inspired one of your own creation to, to pen these words, how we thank you that they have been written and preserved and translated for our own benefit, strengthen our lives in these coming days. As we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who delivers us from this futile, vain world. And so we pray how Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who is the same from generation to generation, from age to age, may the God who is and was and is to come, may he watch over you, keep you, and bless you now and forevermore. Amen.